Praise the Lord, saints. Praise the Lord, saints. <laughs> I know you're out there. And I know you're not dead, amen? I guess I got some work to do to make more life, amen? Why don't you turn to John chapter one? We're gonna be looking at, as Chad said, the response of those who first followed Jesus. And I believe they're held up as an example to us, amen? They're held up because there's something in them that the apostles, who I believe jointly got together to, to urge John and, and two others to write this book, because it was gonna be the testimony of Jesus, the Son of God. A lot of people look at the book of John and they see it as, and, and I think a lot of theologians look at it and, and they see it as a late writing at the end of the century. And I don't agree with that at all. I believe it was the first book that opened up the New Testament because this was so important that the church know. Friends, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the, the, what we call the synoptic or same vision, same view gospels because they show Jesus as the disciple maker. But, and, and so their purpose is to get us to follow the Lord as king and as the servant of servants and as the son of man who came to suffer for righteousness sake. And in that, we have to follow in all three ways. But John, John comes to show us the very essence of salvation, the very essence of the word made flesh. Friends, that doesn't come at the end. That doesn't come after discipleship. That is the foundation of which you go on unto discipleship. And so this book, I, I want you to see it that way. I want you to see that there was something about the apostles that they realized this is what we together need to confirm, and they do at the end of the, end of the book. They say, we testify that what John wrote is true. Amen? Now, friends, um, it's interesting because John didn't get that in Revelation. In Revelation, I believe he's the last living apostle, and so five times he has to say, I, John, I, John, because otherwise nobody would believe that this was really from God. There were some unique things in that book, but here he's now really writing at the beginning of the age, and I, I want you to see that this book and what we're going to look at in the first of this chapters of this book is foundational. It's something that they felt you and I needed to know right off the get-go, so to speak. Now, I hope that's prepared you to be a little more excited about this book and what we're going to look at, but I do need to say one thing first. I felt like the Lord was reminding me, and I hope that he is reminding you, that when we go through physical change in our life, whether it's aging, whether it's uh, uh, achieving something, God often wants us to look at the natural and be aware of something spiritual, of much greater truth spiritually. This day only happens one day a year. Only one day a year do we in America change our clocks and push them forward. Now, I, I, I don't like it. I don't like change. I like, I like routine. I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a disciplined person. I love discipline. But, but one of the things that God was showing me and reminding me again about changing our clocks is that if you're here right now, it's because you got up an hour earlier and prepared an hour earlier from your normal routine. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made it today. And friends, there's a time in our life when God wants us to know the time is later than we think. Amen? Amen. The, the coming of Jesus is sooner than you think, friends. 
We're not here to put dates or times on it, but we are getting ready. And we have to recognize there's an urgency, a desire to get ready for the bridegroom. Amen? Um, some uh, uh, those who of you who I pray will get to know me more, I, I had an unusual wedding, friends. God graced me to be able to do a play in our wedding. Ah, but it was all for the purpose of witnessing to all those who came. And one of the things, we reenacted the ten virgins in our wedding, friends. Turned down the lights, had, had the little lanterns, have the people come in. And, and we, we had one man who was designated, who was a good friend of mine, to proclaim, the bridegroom cometh, the bridegroom cometh. And then we shut the doors. And sure enough, there were people that were late that didn't get to get, come in until it was all done. But friends, that's because our life, and my life especially, is supposed to be a sign and a wonder. Because I believe that we are a prophetic people, friends. That we are called to, in something in our life, whether in small ways or large ways, that people look at you and go, you know, you're, you're different. The Bible in, in the King James puts it in a funny way, that you are called to be a peculiar people. Amen. Friends, you're not supposed to be shaped and molded by the, the winds of fads that blow through this world. You're supposed to be molded and shaped by the hand of God upon your life. Amen? Amen. And so here John brings... <clears throat> so here John um, and, and uh, those who wrote with them bring us into um, the first... What I believe are the first six disciples, first six apostles. Because uh, these disciples are going to become the first six apostles of Jesus. And... He's so humble that he never mentions himself by name in this book, and I believe that that's a principle. John was so well known that I believe he, he felt it important, especially in the early church, not to draw any more attention to himself, friends. To me, that's a sign of greatness. When you realize that God has blessed you and, and given you maybe renown, man, decrease so that he can increase even more. Can you say amen? Um, I, I really think people are going the wrong way, preachers are going the wrong way when they think that they're advancing the kingdom of God by becoming more and more important and drawing more eyes on them. No, let's decrease, friends, so he can increase. Amen? Friends, I don't want people to remember me when I'm gone. I want them to remember Jesus. I remember, I pray that you remember the things that, that belong to him. Friends, in, in, at the end of chapter Luke with these two disciples of Emmaus, their hearts burned for the words they spoke. They didn't know Jesus was talking to them. They just knew the words were, just caused their heart to get on fire. And I believe that's what we're seeing here in the book, in this first chapter of John. Let's skip a little bit. There's so many things I'd love to talk to you about, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip John the Baptist, even though I love him, and, I, and, and it's because I want you to just see the first disciples. Verse 35, again, the next day after, and I need to read this for you so it's in your understanding, it's in your thinking. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. Say amen. amen. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. You know, I, I gotta say one thing about John that I love about John. John was so, so knew his calling that he was willing to turn people away from him unto Jesus. You know, sometimes I wonder, have we missed that in the church? That we're so worried about getting people into our ministry or our little group or club that we, that we forget, no, the main point is to get them to Jesus. 
The main point is to get them to Jesus. Amen? Introducing them to the Lord. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and says, uh, said unto them, What do you seek? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. Please mark that, those three words. Come and see. Friends, sometimes we give long answers to things that only need short answers. People, you know, when, when, when you're witnessing to people, when you're trying to get them to the Lord, you don't have to answer all their questions. In fact, I, I would wager that we say too much sometimes. Instead of, I believe there's a spiritual principle that's established in, in the book of Ephesians where it says, in referring to the body, that God compacts, he draws and pushes us together to produce an increase. How do you make something smaller in order to make it bigger? Only by, only by God, by God's grace, when you and I get joined closer together. See, God, in order to win a great victory, said, Gideon, you got way too many. I don't need that. I don't need 32,000 against 300 or 600,000. I need, I need those who are really committed. So what does he do? He, he sends them all the way and he, and he whittles them down to 300. And, and you got to think about that. Friends, you, I know how you and I pray. Oh God, give me more resources. Give me more time. Give me more wisdom. Give me more of this so I can do your will. And God says, how about if I take those things away so that you can do my will? Wow, that would be a unique way of praying, wouldn't it? God, take more away so I can do more for you. Wow. Hmm, wow. Radical. Kingdom's radical, isn't it? It is radical. Okay. Come and see. So remember those words, because gonna, you're going to hear those words get repeated. They came and saw. Wow, isn't that interesting? He said, come and see. And what did they do? Came and saw. The first followers of Jesus just did what he said. Can you say, I can do that? Can you say, I can do that? You can do that. It's so simple. We make it so complex sometimes. It's so simple. Come and see. Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with them that day. Wow, good choice. Good choice, guys. For it was about the 10th hour. Uh, verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, we're never told who the other one is. But if you study the book of John, you, you have to realize that John's writing this. John doesn't want to bring attention to himself. John me never mentions himself by name and only indirectly mentions he and his brother, James, by way at the end of the book, chapter 20, when he says, and the two sons of Zebedee were there. Friends, this is, this is John with Andrew. We're, we're, we're meeting, even though he's kind of trying to hide, the first two whoever come to Jesus and they come upon the urging of another man of God. Wow. And I say that because it's going to come in a moment. Notice what Andrew does. He's Simon Peter's brother. What a way, what a way to, to be. Notice it doesn't say he's the brother of Simon Peter. He's Simon Peter's brother. Okay. Friends, that's the problem kind of with having a big brother who's more well-known, more, maybe more skilled. You're always going to be known as, oh, you're, the, you're that person's brother. But friends, whether that's you, whether, whether you feel like you're always in the shadow of another person, just realize, no Andrew, no Peter. Can you say it? No Andrew, no Peter. Friends, no, no Barnabas, 
no Paul. Think about that. Many times people go, oh, Barnabas, well, you know, he was a little guy. Friends, no Barnabas, no Paul. Who in your life is God waiting for you to bring to him? And verse 41, he first, meaning this is the first thing he did, he first finds his own brother Simon and says unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. I don't believe he said the latter part. I, I believe this is John now saying this because he wants those who were, who were Greek, Grecians or Greeks, in Greek believers in the church to understand this concept Messiah. Friends, Christ is a, the anointed one, is a, it's, a, it's a Greek understanding more than it is Hebrew. And, and so, but the Hebrew is the Messiah, okay? The, the, the Jews understood and looked for Messiah, many of them. Um, but he's also this anointed one. And so here's, here's, you know, you can read the whole first chapter, which we didn't, and you'll notice if you have a red letter Bible, that the very first uh, words spoken by Jesus that we have, we have recorded in this gospel are in verse 38, which was, what seek ye? And then the second words are in come and see. And from that, from, from how, how, does, how does Andrew get this? But just know, this was his understanding of who this man that he was listening to, that he was the Messiah, which is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Wow, I love it. I don't know if, if, if Peter was arguing. I don't know if Peter, but, but somehow Andrew brought him to Jesus. What a great phrase. Friends, bring people to Jesus. Let Jesus do the work on them. You don't have to convert them. You don't have to convince them. All you got to tell them is who Jesus is and then say, come on, let's go. Okay? Friends, I'm a person. I believe that I'm here only because someone didn't give up on me. I... I you know, the whole idea of, of, of going to church or going to a, a religious event or, or following Jesus wasn't really in my thinking in college. But there were these two guys on the dorm floor that kept witnessing and witnessing and, and using every opportunity and, and they were faithful to answer my questions. They said, you know, they did witness, but then they also said, so what, what's, you know, is there anything that prevents you from believing? And I said, yeah, and I had my list and they did their, their best at, at answering those, which I appreciate. But still, I'm sitting on the fence. And, and so one day, there's a, a, a Christian concert that's coming up. And they said, hey, um, they told me ahead of time about it. And I said, I don't know. But I had a problem. And God used that problem to get me to where he wanted me to hear the, the gospel preached. And that problem was I had a hard time saying no. When, that's why I don't like salesmen. That's why I, I just, you know, I have a hard time saying no. It's not that I necessarily do everything they want. Um, it's just that, man, I feel compelled like I should do it. Okay? And so I kept saying, no, nah, I don't know, I don't know. And so they're ready to leave. It's that Friday night. And they said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. I said, oh, then come along. Oh, I had no excuse now because I didn't have anything to do. So I went and I heard the gospel preached. And that began the beginning of, of now coming to the Lord. Didn't get saved that night, but that turned the corner. So be persistent with people. Friends, realize sometimes people are looking for an excuse and they don't, that they don't need, okay? Um, so here we are. 
And he brought him to Jesus. And then Jesus beheld him and he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I don't think Andrew thought this was going to happen. And that's what you need to be assured of. You bring people to Jesus, Jesus will speak. Amen? He'll speak to the heart. And friends, that's why I don't have to like force people. All, all I got to do is invite, invite, invite. Okay? Yes, I got to at times compel them to come, but then it's up to them. Friends, set people free. Put them in the hand of God. That's the best place they can be anyway. You know, in your prayers. Oh, God, you got to make them do this. No, he doesn't. Let him do the work. Let him decide how and when. Friends, all I know is if you convince somebody to follow Jesus, they're on a weak foundation. But if somebody on their own realizes God is calling me, I have got to serve him, they're solid. They're on a good foundation. I want to put people on the good foundation. Amen? The foundation that they themselves know that Jesus wants them. You declare, you say, but then you hand over. God, they're your, your, yours. Okay, verse 43, the day following. So one day later, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and finds Philip and says unto him, follow me. So we have two people that were sent to Jesus and another one that Jesus speaks directly to. Follow me. Hmm. Wonder why. Now, now you can read more in the gospel and you'll find out Jesus said, follow me to, to a lot of his disciples. But if this is in order, if this is the foundation, if these are the very first ones coming to Jesus, the very first person that ever heard the words follow me was Philip. Must be something special about Philip's life and I believe there was. Something so special that he's unique amongst the 12, friends. He's the only, what I believe, is Grecian. I believe all the other 11 are all Hebrews. But he's a Grecian. He's the Greek speaker. And that's why at the feast later, when there were certain Greeks, you notice, who do they come to? They come to Philip to ask him. And Philip, what does he do? He says, let's go to Andrew. Goes to Andrew, because Andrew's like the humble guy. Okay? He says, you know, he has an easier way to get to Jesus, especially because he was one of the first two. So he takes them to Jesus, and then they go to, to, together. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So, man, these guys apparently knew each other, or it seems to, that they knew each other. And what does Philip do? First thing, Philip finds Nathanael and says unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The last part wasn't probably so impressive. Okay. <laughs> he just knew he needed to throw in some son because that's, that's what the Hebrews care about. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip says unto him, read it, come and see. Where did he hear that from? Well, I'm gathering he heard it from Andrew and John who had heard it from Jesus. Remember Jesus, it's in your Bible, come and see. Well, Jesus never spoke that directly to Philip. He said, follow me, yes, but not come and see. And so that tells me some, another thing you can learn about how to witness better. Talk to other believers. Find out how they do it. Find out what God told them on how to lead people. Because you know what? Other people have, I have learned a long time ago, there's some things God will work in other believers that he hasn't worked in me, but he wants me to glean from them because we're a whole body. I don't have all the parts. Can you say amen? amen. You don't have all the parts, but you have some of the parts. Can you say amen? amen. Say, I have, I have some of the parts. 
and I have some of the parts, and I want to share with you, and I want you to share with me. Friends, that's how we're drawn together into one body and how people see even more that Jesus is really the Lord, that, that Charles, how did you ever get to know that person? The Lord. The Lord brought us together. Amen. Friends, there are some people I can say in my life I would have probably never met, never become friends with, except for Jesus. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God brings us together. Amen? And it's for his purpose. And, and, and because it, it, God loves salt and pepper together. God, God loves, you know, people of every different tribe, nation, tongue, and, and race to come together. Because it shows that the, the unity that man cannot make can be made in Jesus. And Nathaniel was just really duly impressed, wasn't he? Just really impressed. Oh, Nathaniel said to him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him, come and see. Friends, Nathaniel to me is like the, the, he's the Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a little bit of the Pharisee nature. He's, he's the one who looks at, you know, pedigree and all this and says, this doesn't mean anything. Notice Philip didn't have a problem with where he was from from. And that's because Greeks don't care where you're from. They care who you are. They were known by deeds, right? But a lot of the Hebrews looked at where you were from. Something they needed to (laughs) repent on. Amen? Okay. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and says to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Sometimes I think Jesus said that with a big smile. Because it's true and yet, it's also, sometimes no guile is not a great thing. It's great in the sense of honesty and truth. Please be of no guile. Peter tells us that, that Jesus was of no guile. That that, that purpose to decept, deceive people was never Jesus' means or way. Okay? But at the same time, Nathaniel's very unkind here. Very ungracious by his guilelessness. So there was something that needed to be added to his guilelessness, which was maybe innocency, maybe um, um, uh, willingness to be gracious. But nonetheless, Jesus picks out what's good about him. Nathanael says unto him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Friends, this is the very first person to confess that Jesus was the Son of God. These were, these were powerful confessions, and they came so simply. We're not seeing the four laws, spiritual laws being written to, here's how I lead you to Christ. People are just testifying that, wow, this is who Jesus is. Come and see. Friends, let, let God deal with people's problems, meaning their excuses, all that. Just come and see. Verse 50, Jesus answered and said to them, And I love how Jesus puts us in our place. We think we're so smart. And he says, because I said unto you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe because of that? You shall see greater things than these. And he says unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Notice, the confession was that he was the Son of God. Once you know that Jesus is the Son of God, he immediately wants you to let him to know he's also the Son of Man. He's going to suffer. We're sons of God by adoption. We also are going to suffer. Can you say amen? Jesus prepares us. 
Okay, I wanted a little bit, a little bit rushed through that only because today I really want to talk to you about the first four verses. How could these men know these things? How could they be assured? Because we don't have any testimony of Jesus especially. And so therefore, it wasn't the words that convinced these men of these things. So what was it? Well, we could say the Spirit revealed it to them, and of course. But I believe, I believe firmly that God always gives you the clue in the text itself. God doesn't leave us to guess, to imagine, to wonder. That he always shows you when something happens, it's because of what preceded it. Friends, you got here today, as I said in the beginning, only because you prepared an hour earlier to get here. Can you say amen? And there's things that God's doing in your life today that, that, that you're not going to receive the fruit from until later. One of the things that God showed me, and I, I just want to share this with you because I believe it's a blessing, is I always used to wonder, I'd, I'd be seeking the Lord and, and, and digging into his word, which I believe we should all be doing, amen? We should all be what, uh, trying to show ourselves uh, uh, workmen who are approved uh, because we rightly divide the scriptures and also because we, this is how we learn to love him. We love him even by loving his word. If he's your bridegroom, then his voice should be sweet to you, amen? And yet sometimes it's not. And so that's why we have to let the word soften our heart so here I was, I was, I was seeking his word and I'm, I'm studying it and I'm not seeing much happen. Other times I might not be seeking God's word and yet God's blessing me. And it's like, for a long time, I'm like, it doesn't make sense, Lord. Why is it that when I'm seeking you, it doesn't seem like much happening and sometimes when I'm not seeking you, man, you're blessing me. It doesn't make, it makes me want to not seek you more. <laughs> And I know that's not the point, Lord, but so what, what am I missing? And he said, you've missed the time of sowing and reaping. You've forgotten that just like it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. That you don't plant today and reap today. You don't plant today and reap tomorrow. You don't plant today and reap next month. The time of sowing and reaping with men is what? It's nine months, isn't it? You, a man sows a seed into, a woman, into his wife, and, and that child isn't born tomorrow, the next month, the next month, it's nine full months, isn't it? And friends, you can mark this in your life. When you're seeking God, you're going to reap a harvest nine months from today. It's a weird thing. Now, I'm not saying it has to be nine months. I'm saying many things that, God's, that you're seeking God on today, if you're faithful and pursuing him and letting him do the work, you're not going to see the fruit for a couple months. That's how God teaches us faithfulness. Friends, if God gave you, as soon as you sought him, he blessed you and you had everything, friends, you'd be coming the wrong reason to Jesus. Just to get instead of to become. God wants you to become his children. Amen? Okay. So, the question is, how did these men know these things? And, and before we leave, leave this passage, just note a few things. Let's summarize. Number one, they came to Jesus, and as soon as they saw who Jesus was, they invited somebody else. And they notice in each case, they declared who they saw Jesus as. Maybe you missed that, because I've missed it a lot of times. Who, who, does, who does Andrew say that he saw? Let's read it again so we get it. Verse 41, he said unto his brother, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, 
the anointed one. Friends, who was the Messiah to the Hebrews? He was everything. Can you say everything? He was their hopes. Say hopes. Dreams. The life they, they longed for. He, the promise. All of that was tied up in, in the Messiah. He was the deliverer, the redeemer, the, the, the restorer of Israel. Everything they hoped for. Hmm. Is that who you're witnessing of when you witness of Jesus? Or have you forgotten who he is? And so I would say, you want to be a better witnesser? You want to be a more compelling witness? Fall in love with Jesus. Get to know who he is in your life. Get to know who he is in, in truth. Amen? Because the more you know of him, the more easy it is to tell people, hey, let me tell you who I found. Okay? No, I didn't find... So Friends, God doesn't want you to say, oh, I found a good teacher from Israel. What? Oh, no, I found a prophet who, who, can, who sometimes knows what's coming. No. We're not talking a prophet. We're talking the prophet. We're not talking a teacher. We're talking the teacher. We're not talking about a, good she a shepherd, but the good shepherd. Okay? And so these things, the Lord has to be magnified in our understanding. Same thing with Philip. Philip says that we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Okay? Friends, get to know who Jesus is. And that brings me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. <sighs> and now, I'm going to share with you what I believe is the key to being that kind of witness. What was the very first thing these apostles, the twelve, wanted John and, and I believe Philip's the other co-writer, and I think it's important to realize why. Because, you know, there are a lot of people that want to attack your faith. They want to attack uh, the scripture. They, they don't believe it. And so um, one of the, the, the common complaints against John and his authorship is that, well, the Greek in, in the book of John is really, uh, really good. Okay? I mean, it's really good. But, but the Greek in Revelation is really bad. It's one of the worst forms of Greek in, in the New Testament. And so now they say, so how can John be the writer of both? And it's an interesting argument, and you've got to come up with a, a real good reason to show, because the evidence is clearly that John did write this book, and he says he wrote uh, Revelation. Now, you're going to come up with all these weird theories that, it, well, it's a different John, and blah, 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 which is, friends, think about this. God's a God of order. The first covenant was opened and closed in the sense of the law, by one man named Moses. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So he wrote the first and the last. And so the new covenant, hmm, if, John is the, if you understand that John's the first, first book of the New Testament, which it has to be because it's telling you how to be born again. Friends, you, you can't even be a disciple unless you're born again first. And so he's the only one that tells us about being born again. He uses the word believe, believer, believing, um, 101 times. The synoptic gospels together only use it 39 times. So he uses the, that, that concept of believing two and a half times more than the other gospels combined. Friends, this is the beginning. And that's why it starts off in the beginning. And I know some people say, well, Mark starts in the beginning, but he's not talking about the beginning, beginning. He's talking about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But we're talking, no, we're talking the beginning of creation here. Okay. In the beginning was the Word. 
And so John, the, the, the gospel of John, I believe, is written by John. He's, he's the overseer, but not the penman. He's not actually writing the words. I believe Philip is, because that's why his Greek is so good. Okay? And that's how we explain the difference between why John um, versus... Um, and, and that explains why Philip is mentioned so much. Why is Philip mentioned so many times in John and not at all in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Because he's, he's the second writer. And he's doing the actual writing. Um, and I believe there's a third person who's actually helping them also, and that's Nathaniel. And there's a reason for that. It's because in the early church, there's three main groups that had to be joined together. One were the, the Sadducees who had come to faith. You see that in, John, in Acts chapter 6, that there's the priests. Many of the priests now, because of the picking of the deacons and they see the community the church has, many of the priests came to the faith. That means Sadducees now came into the church. It's interesting that from that point on, it never says they're Sadducees in the church. But that's, that's where they came from, and they let that go. Amen? Um, but there was also Hebrews. And then there were Greeks. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 uh, believers are added to the church, and they're almost, they're, look at the names. They're all Greeks. And so these three elements have to be combined, and I believe in this first gospel, these are combined. John is representing, and of course, John um, comes from the priesthood, which was the Sadducees. So we have the Sadducees, we have the, the, the Grecians, and we have the Pharisees in, in uh, Nathaniel. So these three work together to make this first gospel so that all the church would know it's not, what do you say? It's not uh, slanted. It's not anyone's private perspective or interpretation. We had all three groups represented. Very interesting. So, what did they want to know, the church to know about Jesus? Let's read this. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. Now you may say, what does that have to do with witnessing? Everything. Everything. I think that, those few verses, is what, what sent Andrew going. And, and one thing we missed in that, I told you, I believe this is the first six disciples of the Lord, even though you only maybe heard four, okay? And that's because if the first two disciples were Andrew and John, and Andrew immediately goes and, and gets his brother, Peter, what do you think John's doing, friends? Think he's going, well, I'm not going to do that. No, he must, must do the same. And as evidenced by the fact that by John chapter 20, we see the sons of Zebedee are following Jesus. And so I believe that, that, that John's being humble here, but he does the same thing. Both of them say, man, we got to get our brothers. Okay, first thing. And so friends, when, when you get touched by the Lord, God's going to put, he wants to put a heart in you for your family. You start local, you go global. Amen? You start local, you go global. Okay? But we have to be faithful with those who are closest to us. Your closest friends, they need to hear. They need to hear what's happening in your life. And they need to hear about this Jesus. So, so we have uh, Andrew gets Peter, James gets John, Philip gets Nathaniel. First six. Boom. Okay? Okay. Jesus is the Word. He's the Word made flesh. And of course, verse 14, Jesus, uh, uh, 
the gospel tells us directly, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I, I want to say that if, I, I believe that what the apostles were saying here, yes, that they're saying something about Jesus, that he's the word, that he's eternal. Friends, before he was ever Jesus, before we ever, before anybody ever called him Jesus, he was the word of God. That's his eternal name. And that's because it's his eternal character, okay? In the beginning was the word. That's, that's who, who God originally called him. The father would say, hey, the word of God, okay? But I believe there's an application here for you and I. Are we not to follow Jesus? Indeed. Are we not to become like him in the sense of character, in, in the sense of faithfulness, obedience, love, desire? Yes, and so my question is, is if in the beginning was the word, what do you think is supposed to be the first thing in your life, friends? What do you think is supposed to be the very first thing in your life? The word. Can you say amen? Friends, if you want to have a witness like these men have, if you want to have this, this like enthusiasm for the Lord, get the word of God to be the very first thing in your life. I want to say it and I want to say it strong. Get the word of God to be the beginning Stop going first to men or to books or to, or, or to other places. You need answers? Go to the Word. I'm going to say it nice and loud so we all get it. Go to the Word. Amen? I'm not saying you can't get good advice and good counsel from others, but first, preeminence, priority, Jesus first. Say Jesus first. In the beginning, the Word. Go to the Word, friends. That's, the, to me, like the very beginning. Let him be the foundation of your life, okay? And friends, that's why we had a morning class. Um, some of you may have missed it because you didn't prepare, um, but it's called uh, the Doctrine of Christ, the foundation class. And we're trying to lay a foundation, okay, so that people will be mature and grow out of babyhood into spiritual maturity and not be tossed to and fro. So if you want that in your life, please come 9 a.m. Sundays, okay? It's up on the second floor. Some of you, you know, my, my own son missed where it was. That's okay. He got, he got a, a, another good class to be in. That was good. The second point I want you to see. So to me, that's, that's like the why. Why? The, the why is, is that Jesus is the foundation. He's, he's the first thing we seek. The second notice is, and the word was with God. Friends, the word in your life needs to become what brings you to the Lord. It's how you fellowship with God. It should be, we've been practicing this in the altar, and please come if you can come during the week at noons, and if you can't, there's Wednesday night, please come. We've been practicing letting the word of God, letting the songs we sing be prayers unto him, because he loves to hear his word, because you know what? I'm convinced, and I hope you're convinced, that his wisdom is greater than mine. Amen? His will is better than mine. That's a tough one to say sometimes, but it's true. His will, say his will, is better than my will. And that's why one of my favorite verses that David says is, Lord, I lift up my soul unto you. Teach me, say teach me, what is best for me. Mm, now that's a good place to be. Friends, too often believers have their desires, oh, I want this, I want this, this is what God wants. Well, Let's let him put the desires on our heart that need to be there first, amen? I'm not saying he doesn't want to make you fulfilled. He does. He wants to come to give you a more abundant life. But friends, that life can't be based and molded and shaped after a worldly pattern. 
It's got to be shaped after the heart of God. Amen? He wants to change your heart and make it like his. And so let, let the word of God that you are now placing as the foundation and the first thing you go to in your life, let it bring you to him. Friends, the word wasn't, isn't sent to condemn us. The word is sent to draw us unto him. Friends, think about the, the Song of Solomon. When the, the bride hears the voice of her beloved, does she say, uh, I'm a little busy right now? No, go read it. It says, it says, my heart began to beat when I heard his voice. Okay? Let's be like that. Let's, Lord, you're speaking in your word. And that brings us to the third point about the, the value of the word of God. Is notice, and the word was God. Can you say that? And the word was God. Friends, for all of you that have a Bible on your lap, I say, well done. Amen? I don't care whether it's electronic or written or in, in paper or whatever. All of you that don't have a word of God written, a, a Bible on your lap, please get one. Don't come to the house of God without one. Why? Because, friends, it doesn't matter what any man says. It matters what God has said. And it does matter. Friends, all of creation, everything you see, everything you don't see was made by the word of God. Can you say amen? And, and so, friends, that's why when you believe the word, things happen. You may not see it. It may take a while. May, may, there may be, you know, this season of growing, but it's going to come to pass. No word of God is void of power, the Bible says. No word of God is void of power. And so there, there's a power in the word to change um, situations and, praise God, most of all, you and I. And so let the word of God, let the scriptures that you read be God's voice, friends. Let it be God's voice to you because that's what it is. That's what it was always intended to be. Friends, recognize that the word you read, they're, they're not just, I know sometimes we get in that place where like we're just slogging through the word. Okay, Lord, I'm reading it. But we're forgetting that, no, God's trying and intending through these words to speak to your and my heart. The one thing I can say that, that is very precious, very precious about the word of God. I wish my heart was always like A plus with God. I'm glad when it's there. Sad when it's not, Okay. In the times when I've, my heart is struggling with something, when I'm not happy about something, when I got a, a grievance, oh God, why is it this way, okay? And we'd have those. I wish, I wish we never did. But God works through them to find out what's most important in our heart. And so friends, next time you're there, next time you're bummed out in the word and you're going, man, I'm just not getting anything out of the word, realize that what the, what the word of God is referred to as water. Husbands, you're called by Paul in Ephesians to wash your, water, your wives with the washing of the water of the word. And friends, that does not mean, husbands, that does not mean, well, you better do what it says. That is not washing with the water of the word. Washing with the water of the word is, is, is tender, it's kind, it's patient, it's saying, you know, we don't have to do this. We can do this. This is where God wants us to go. Okay? There's a washing with the water of the word that husbands are to do their wives. And guess what? The Lord is trying to do to you because you're his wife. And so when you open the scripture, say, 
if you need to, my beloved, speak to me. I need you. Tell me how much you love me again. Tell me. You know, I, I got to tell you a, a funny story because sometimes you, you get in different cultural settings and you just go, okay, that one needs to be yanked up um, by the roots and plucked up. And we, are, we, we have them in America. Every culture has them, things that need to be plucked up even in the mindset of people in the body of Christ. And so one of the things that, that was happening in Kenya is the, the men would never walk with their wives. The men would walk ahead and the wives would walk behind and they were ashamed to be walking in public with their wives and holding hands was just not something you did. And they, they, they literally, I sat down with some of the leaders sometime and I said, how is it that you don't walk with your wives? How is it that when you come into the house of God, the men sit over there and the women sit over there? Now, they felt totally justified. They said, oh, well, you know, isn't that what was going on in Corinth? I said, no, that's not what was going on in Corinth. I said, I said, God gave me a great scripture. In Ephesians, it says that we're seated in the heavenlies. Where are we seated? With Christ. Are you the bride? Is he the groom? So therefore, are you the wife and he's the husband? And so did in the heavenlies... Where are you seated? With him, with Christ in the heavenlies. And so I told them a simple thing. I said, do you believe that Jesus walks with you? Yeah. Well, they all said yes. I said, when you go to the house of God, do you believe that he's, he's walking with you or that he just goes there and says, yeah, come when you're ready? Or do you believe he walks with you? Oh, he walks with us. I said, and how would you feel if Jesus walked on the other side of the road and said, I'm not walking with you? And they, didn't, they started to see something. I said, the husband-wife relationship is supposed to reflect Jesus and the church, but you're not. And they, they said, a, I had a funny, they had a funny answer to me. They said, Charles, it's only prostitutes and, 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 and people of, women of ill repute that in our country are close to men. I said, then guess what? You're going to have to associate and look like them. Because you know what? You've let the devil steal what is supposed to be your witness. Closeness in marriage is not an evil thing. It's the best thing about marriage. And we shouldn't hide that. We, should, uh, we don't flaunt it. But at the same time, what we do do is say, this is the fruit of the covenant which God gave us. Amen? Okay. And so, so we have to recognize that some cultural things have to be rooted up and thrown away. Okay? Notice it said that all things were made by him, okay? And so, friends, this part of the word of God, you have to let the word of God be what changed. The way I like to say it is is let, let God's word assemble what you're planning on doing. Too often we say, okay, God, that's what you want me to do? I got it from here. Friends, he's, he doesn't want to just give you the idea. He wants to be the architect, he wants to say, this is how I want you to do it. Friends, I've learned painful ways where, where, where we can have God's will and know God's will and do it totally in the flesh. Ugh. And you know what? It won't stand. God, God will ultimately have to say, well, you did what I asked, but you didn't do it the way I asked, and so guess what? We're going to demolish it all. We're going to start over. It's pain. That's kind of frustrating. Friends, God has a way. Say, God has a way. And it's not always my way. And so, guess what? We're going to have to learn his way. 
And now I'm going I'm, I'm to step probably where I shouldn't step. Okay? As a preacher, sometimes you have to step where even angels fear to dread, uh, to go, yes? <laughs> Maybe some of the things that, that some of you, even today, even this week, are thinking of doing and believe that this is, this is God's will, if you're not careful, you're going to do it. You're going to pick up extra things along the way. I call them baggage and say, well, this is part of how it has to be done. This is part of what's important. Friends, there are a lot of things that we think are important that to God, he goes, why? Let it go. I got a beautiful little book. I, I, I let some of you read it. It's, um, it, it's about this uh, little raccoon. I, I forget his name. I think it's Adam Raccoon. Adam Raccoon and, and Arun, the lion, who represents Jesus. And he takes him on this trip and, and says, let's go hiking. And, he, and, and the little raccoon tries to bring everything, in, including the kitchen sink. And... And the lion, Jesus says, you don't need that. You don't need any of that stuff. No, 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 I need it. And he tries to bring it. And of course, it, 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 he falls into the drink and loses everything. Falls, you know, trips on, on the river on a, on a stone. And he says, don't worry about it. I told you you didn't need it. And of course, there's one red ball left. And he says, well, I need that. Jesus says again, you don't need that. And sure enough, that ends up becoming what distracts him and, and puts him in jeopardy with, with the wolves. Friends, there are many things in, we, in our life that we think we need and they're only going to lead us astray. Let Jesus be the focal point. Let him be, not, let him be what? Everything that's made in your life. Lord, build my life, build this people's life off of Jesus. And so, just to summarize here, notice he's identified as first as the word. And then what does it say? In him was life. Notice the word became life in Jesus. Can you say that? The word became life in Jesus. That's what God wants for you. He wants his word to become life in you and that life to be what? The light of men. Friends, the wisdom of God is greater than ours. I, I could try and try and try to witness to people, but you know what? If you'll just live the word, if you'll love the word, if you'll keep the word, if you'll honor the word, and begin to let it be the pattern of everything you do in your life, people begin to wonder, why are you living that way? But the one thing they won't be able to deny is the light that shines off of your heart. Friends, people may go, man, I don't, I don't want to take every Sunday and go to a service. I got better things to do on a Sunday. Until they see this helps you have more peace. This helps you have, uh, learn how to grow in, in the things of God. This is why you're stable and fixed and not tossed to and fro by the troubles of life. This is why. Because I meet Jesus when I go to this, this house of God. And friends, can I, can I ask something of you? Something I, uh, I, I, I'm picky about the little things. And, and hopefully because I think they're important. Too often, you know, it's common among Christians that where did you come today? Where'd you come today? The church. Do you know you didn't come to church? That's what we say, but in that we're very wrong. The Bible says, the Bible never, say never, never. refers to the church as a building or a place. It always refers to the church as a people. A people. Guess what? You are the church. Without you, this is just a building, friends. It's nothing. You say, I am the church. I, I know that sounds weird to say, I am the church. I and, and all of us are the church. Amen? We together are the church. 
So stop saying I go to church. So where do you go then? Hmm. We go, according to the Bible, where we go is the house of God. And you know why I love that terminology? Because to the world, what does church mean? A lot of things. A lot of things that necessarily don't bring life. But when you tell people, I'm going to the house of God, that immediately defines number one. Whose house is it? Hallelujah. I wish every house of God understood that principle, that it's God's house, and that's why we've got to do it God's way. Amen? And it's not about any man getting glory. It's about God getting all the glory. Can you say all the glory? I love it. Simple thing, but you know what? Why does God want to change your tongue? Because it'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you think. Now, you'll go, when you say, I go to church, what does that mean? I don't know what it means to you. But when I say, I go to the house of God, the fear of God starts to settle on my heart. I better prepare. It's his house. There's a certain way we have to behave in the house of God, the Bible says, as Paul teaches Timothy. That, that, that that's what the true church is. They're those who know how to behave themselves in a right way in the house of God. See, if I come in here and I'm all proud and arrogant and I say, no, I'm not going to do that way, God says, you're not being my church right now. I may be a member of his body, but I'm not acting as a part of his church. I hope you understand the difference. So just want to encourage you with that. It's a little thing, but this is what the word of God comes in to do, to, to so change where, how we see ourselves in the things of God that it begins to form a living reality, something that actually produces life. I found the Messiah, the Christ, okay? I'm going to the house of God, okay? And yeah, people say, they look at you weird when you say, yeah, I and my friends, we're the church. But I'll, I'll tell you, when you read all the New Testament epistles and it talks about the church, you'll go, oh, they're talking about me. They're talking about what I need to be. Okay? And so I want the word of God to come alive to you. Let's close with that. So if, if you want to be a greater and better witness, let the word be at the core of your being. Let it produce the life of God in you and that let that light shine. Okay? So I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm asking that we have a transforming view of how we come to the scriptures that we begin to see it as the will of God, as the voice of God, as your pattern for how we should live, and that we submit to it, Lord, that we rejoice in it, that we let the word be what dwells in our hearts and brings us closer to the Father, brings us more open to the Spirit, lets us praise and rejoice and enjoy the fellowship of the Son. So, Lord, change Help the preeminence of the word be alive in our heart today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just always like to do this because I feel like one of the kingdom principles is stay up here, don't move. God honors, um, uh, he, he honors a, a small centimeter of movement. It's not about standing or coming forward, but he sees that desire to be established in what Brother Charles just spoke. And so, in Romans chapter one, verse 11, Paul is so excited to go to Rome because he knows he's, he's carrying something in the grace of God that he wants to impart to that body. He wants, he wants to see God actualize and get inside the believers in Rome. And every time Charles teaches, I just so sense that it's a chance for us to stand and say, I want 
a hunger for the word of God, that, that, that whole message, I want that to become real in my life in the grace of God. And so if that's you, can you just stand on your feet? You want an impartation of the hunger for God's word as, as was just taught, that you would know him, that it would lead you to an encounter with Jesus, a, a vibrant relationship with Christ, that you would know not just who he is, but to whom you belong and who you're called to become. And I just want, this is this, Char Charles, he's my older brother <clears throat> by a few years. He's still young at heart. But this is one thing that's really united us is our love for the word together. So just put your hand on your heart. And I just, uh, I just wanna pray. I want Charles to pray. This just an impartation. He says, of some spiritual gift that to this end ye may be established. So just receive this as a gift, not as a, uh, a free pass, but as grace to get activated in your life that the word of God would become central and foundational to your life. So can you just pray one more time for those standing? Heavenly Father, let the word of God arise. Let it arise in our heart as, as you say the, the, the dawning of uh, uh, the dawn star, the morning star. Lord, let us just let the word be without compare that we let it be the the very first thing we go to the very essence of what we hunger and thirst for let it be the 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 guideline the foundation on on which we build and lord you say a little bit later in john 1 that jesus who is the word of god was grace and truth and lord if we're going to understand the truth we have got to understand the grace of god grace comes first and it opens our understanding to the truth so lord let your people dive into the grace of god because your word is gracious, Lord. That's how we first tasted it. Taste and see that the Lord is good, that the Lord is gracious. Lord, just revive many relationships here today that people will remember how good it was when they first heard your voice and return unto the chief shepherd, return unto the beloved who calls them. And just like the woman, the, 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 the wife, that when she heard the knocking on the door, she took time and, and she missed him. Lord, let us be those that immediately jump up and, Lord, come in. Come in and fellowship with me today because I'm an open vessel. Thank you, Father, for touching them. Amen. Can we all just say thank you to our brother for the word? Amen. And thank you, Jesus. You are dismissed. If you want prayer, someone to minister to you, come on up. If not, have a beautiful week. Be sure to sign up for a class or a group. If you, again, if you want prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you.